You're listening to the Patriot Nation Podcast. to another edition of the Patriot Nation podcast presented by FanDuel, uh, the official sports wagering partner of CLNS Media. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up today. It's your boy, Pat Lane, as always here with my guy, Matt St. Jean. And today we are joined by one of our favorite people in the entire world. You know him. You love him. He's a Patriot supporter for NBC Sports Boston and the host of the other show you should be listening to on the in the offseason, the next Pat's podcast. It's Phil Perry. Phil, thanks for coming on, man. Anytime, guys. There's there's always stuff happening with this team, so there's always stuff to talk <laughs> with you about. Yes, there is. Yes, they're there bringing is. the news just for us. I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're yes. looking for a new offensive coordinator. So <clears throat> Bill O'Brien's out, and who is in now is is going to be really interesting to see. This is you could argue the most important hire Gerard Mayo will make. I don't know if you know how much say he's going to have in the GM hire. That's probably more important for the organization, but the most impo- important hire he's going to make. I'm sure I'll have some input from ownership uh, is going to be whoever's shaping this offense moving forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I, you know, we had talked about it already on the show before and, and, you know, you hire Gerard Mayo, who of course is a defensive minded person, right. But you're not hiring, you know, you look at the Texans, you're not hiring a defensive coach or an offensive coach. You're hiring a leader is who you're hiring. Dan Campbell's a good example of that too. You're not hiring a, a specialist to do something, you're hiring a guy that can lead the men out, right? A leader of men. And then he's got to get a good offensive coordinator and a good defensive coordinator. And we talked on here about like, we didn't necessarily love the idea of Bill O'Brien coming back because we thought some change would be good. And, you know, obviously in this case, right, Bill O'Brien has accepted the position at Ohio state to be the offensive coordinator there. So you got to assume that the Patriots communicated to him that he was not going to be coming back because otherwise it seems strange he would take the same job at a college instead of in the pros, right? So um, so they probably said, yeah, we're probably moving on. Go find a job somewhere else if you can find one. Um, well, it's definitely going to be huge. I would say this. Um, you, may, you may be right. I also would say I think it was probably a pretty hard year for Bill O'Brien. And yep. things are obviously in flux here. New head coach. You're going to have a addition, a quarterback, I'm sure. Um, and so while this may have been the Patriots saying, hey, you're, you're probably not going to be back here. Uh, well, I could certainly see that. I could also see the other side of it, too, where yeah. he might in his heart of hearts, even though he's got family here and it felt like a great situation. And uh, it's my understanding it was still under contract, you know. It wouldn't stun me if he felt like it was a good time to try to find something else either. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine he's going to have a lot more, you know, control over his personnel at Ohio state than he would have at, uh, in new England, at least based on what we heard coming into this past season. Um, yeah, well, you know, I, I honestly, guys, I think, um, when he got here, he was fine with the staff. That wasn't an issue, uh, you know, and he got to bring okay. his tight ends coach. Um, 
right. and he liked the other guys. And, you know, if there were relationships strained over the course of the season, I could certainly understand that. You're the worst offense in football when it comes to scoring points. That's bound to happen. Um, but my understanding of it at the time was that there was not a lot of pushback in terms of, hey, I need, I need Coach X for my running backs and Coach Y for my receivers and Coach Z for my offensive line. And I, if, you, if you don't allow me that, I'm going to be pissed off all year and you're going to read about it. Uh, like, it was an odd situation. It was certainly a hodgepodge of offensive coaches, you know, from you know, holdovers from two previous regimes, essentially, two previous different coordinators who had different offenses. And so that part is unusual. There is no doubt about it. Um, but I, I don't think the say over the staff was the biggest issue for him. I think it was the fact that they were just a brutal offense and they, they did not have much talent. And I think it weighed on him. I think it, it was um, draining to a large degree for somebody like Bill O'Brien. So tough year, not a fun year. I could understand why he would, even if he was asked to move on, why why he might want to move on of his own volition. Yeah, one of those mutual partings, kind of like Belichick had, right? Yeah, and I'm not uh, saying um, that that's what happened. I I don't know that, but but it could have been though, based on what I I know in terms of um, what kind of year it was for him. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so who do you think? So now that Billy O is gone, and I'm sure it'll come out in the next few days as to as to why or or the, some of the reasoning behind it. But who is on the short list for you? Who are the guys? You know, we interviewed we the Patriots interviewed guys last year for the offensive coordinator spot, right? Guys like Sean Jefferson and guys like that. So is there you know who's on that short list for you this year? Is it guys that interviewed last year? Is it brand new guys? Uh, is it guys on the staff? You know, what What do you think? I think it's going to be new guys. I'm not sure it's going to be guys on the staff because I'm not sure. Although Adrian Clem did interview for the offensive coordinator job last year, if I remember that correctly, and ended up obviously getting hired to be the offensive line coach. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure there's anybody on the staff who necessarily would, would qualify. You know, Troy Brown's been around for a while, and I know he's going to be, I believe he's going to be an offensive coordinator down at the Senior Bowl this year. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I saw that the other night. Uh, he was the head coach for the, I think they were the West team, which didn't make a lot of sense, but the Patriots were coaching the West team at the Shrine game last year. Oh, boy, yeah. And he was the head coach. So so he's been sort of in training for a higher level job these last couple of years now. But I don't think anybody necessarily on the staff right now would qualify as offensive coordinator. I think um, it's going to be an open search. You know, it'll be interesting to see if Josh McDaniels is interested at all. Would he rather go with Bill Belichick? That's something he knows. That's an offense that Bill Belichick respects. Um, and I, I do wonder if the Patriots, as they're currently situated, understanding that they might be adding a young quarterback with a premium asset in the number three overall pick, do you want that guy trying to run Josh McDaniels' offense? And it went well for Mac Jones as a rookie back in 2021. But I think Mac Jones was, in terms of his processing and his readiness to run that kind of offense, I think he was advanced. And I know that sounds crazy to say now, given where Mac Jones has ended up, but that was what everyone in the league would tell you. I remember talking to coordinators who were incredibly impressed just because they would say things like, well, look at 
this was actually at the end of last year. So he was, he was coming off of the awful season with Patricia and judge and the, you know, the reasoning for why Mac Jones was still a viable player was because look at what he did as a rookie quarterbacks. Don't generally speaking, have a lot of success in their first years in Josh McDaniels offense. The St. Louis Rams experiment for McDaniels went horribly. Derek Carr did not play well in his first year in Josh McDaniels offense. But last year you had, this amalgamation of Jimmy Garoppolo and um, Aiden O'Connell and Brian Hoy and like it just it hasn't gone well. It hasn't gone well. As in, in generally speaking, um, I think it's considered a complex offense, a voluminous playbook, mm-hmm. and relatively difficult to pick up. Do you want to be handing that to a rookie quarterback that you just took at three overall, who has run nothing like that in all likelihood in the college game? Um, so I think this is going to be an outside, if I had to bet, you know, I wouldn't completely rule out McDaniels because there's a great relationship with ownership there. He knows yeah. Mayo clearly, but my guess is they're going to be looking at that McVay tree or that Shanahan tree and seeing all the success that some young quarterbacks have had in those systems. And, uh, even if there's not a, you know, a well-established long-standing relationship between Mayo and whoever that offense coordinator is from one of those systems, that might be what ends up being most pal- uh, palatable for them. Well, the, the name that comes to mind when you mention them, you've got the current offensive coordinator for the Rams, Zach Robinson, somebody who you know started in New England and actually had some overlap with Gerard Mayo with their time with the Patriots. Um, and the tight end coach there is a name familiar to all of us in Nick Cayley, somebody who just went out there from New England. That I think that's like the first pairing of names that comes to mind if you want to go get somebody from that system is to bring in the offensive coordinator and the tight end coach. They both have ties to New England, some relationships with Mayo, but it is very much an external system, something young, something fresh. And yeah. another former recent player there as a coordinator. Yeah, and that... Zach Robinson's name certainly, I think, should be in consideration. I know he's already interviewing for OC jobs. He's the he's not the offensive coordinator there, but he's the pass game coordinator, um, and he's the quarterbacks coach. Yeah. And he's been the assistant quarterbacks coach um, for a couple different seasons there with Sean McVay. So he's worked really closely alongside McVay for a while now. He was the seventh round pick of the Patriots back in 2010. If anybody remembered that and those specific details, like yeah. Kuda, I know it's a Patriots fans podcast, but. Even me as a draft nerd, like if you remember seventh round picks from over 10 years ago, like congratulations. Um, and so that's a name they should consider. Kaylee's a name that I think they should consider too. The one thing about Kaylee, you know, I've, I've had some people really be very complimentary of him that I've spoken to uh, league wide lately because they believe he's going to be an offensive coordinator. And soon the one thing he hasn't done yet is be a quarterback's coach. And that's what a lot of these teams generally speaking, are looking for. They're going to be calling plays. They're going to be working with a young quarterback. And so that's that's one area where, you know, what might be interesting to see is if Zach Robinson leaves, if all of a sudden you see Nick Cayley next year as the pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach in L.A. with Sean McVay, and then he's a, he's a coordinator somewhere uh, right. in 2025. So I would, I would mention those two names. The other name that I would mention who is a McVay connection and a Patriots connection, a little bit like Cayley, uh, but in a different way, Shane Waldron, the, the OC, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, I think technically still, although they just blasted Pete Carroll out of there. So he's probably going to be looking for a job. Um, 
but has been with the Patriots before and in a variety of different capacities. He was, I believe he was tight ends coach in 2009, uh, but he's been um, an offensive yeah. assistant. And um, I think he even worked in some personnel capacities very early on in his career. He went to Tufts, he went to Phillips Andover. So he has some New England ties. I think he coached at BBN as well. Uh, people out there are familiar with the, uh, the independent school league football uh, products that are, uh, in the greater Boston area. Um, so he's he's a guy that I would consider to, just because he has sort of been, in some ways, although he's been in Seattle since 2021, he's been McVay's sort of right-hand man offensively for a while. Um, you know, going back to their days even in Washington, he, he left Washington, ended up in L.A. with McVay and um, spent several years there with him at, a you know, in important jobs. And so that's a name that I think they should be looking at too. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you go through his Wikipedia, right. And it's like offensive quality control coach in new England, tight ends coach in new England. Again, when Gerard was here, then like, then UMass for a while, then Redskins and then the Rams from 2017 to 2020 in a variety of roles. And now he's with Seattle. So it certainly is. That's an interesting spot. And, you know, as much as Seattle's offense isn't necessarily blowing anyone away, Geno Smith, not great. Okay, but not great. He looked pretty darn good last year. So yeah. he made he made Geno Smith a lot of money last yeah. year. You know, right. however involved he was in in Geno's explosion last year, you know that's a that's a feather in in Waldron's cap potentially for sure. And if you're going to get a guy, you know, we're going to talk about the the quarterbacks at some point coming up here. But um, you know, if you're going to get a guy with some mobility, with some a guy that can move a bit, which we all kind of hope is going to be the case. You need someone that has that can do that, that has that in their repertoire. And for me, I, I just don't I don't see anyone on the roster that can do that. Um, and so they have to go out there and get someone, whoever it might be. I know Matt is a is a Michigan fan, so I'll, you know, we all know who he wants as the quarterback. <laughs> um, but you know, but nevertheless, whoever it is, it's gotta be someone with some mobility, I think. Yeah, and there's a few um other guys that are sort of from this, a similar tree, that Shanahan McVay tree, um, Clint Kubiak, um, who's Gary Kubiak's son. He was the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for the Vikings for a bit. Now he's the pass game coordinator for the Niners. That's a name. I, it wouldn't stun me if he ends up getting some interviews. He's um, he's 36, 37, somewhere in there. So it feels like it's about the right time for him to get some looks like that, especially after working with Brock Purdy and helping that offense look the way it's looked. And then Dan Pitcher is a quarterback's coach for the Bengals. So obviously um, worked with Joe Barrow the last few years. And again, in a, a relatively similar system from that tree. Uh, so maybe that's somebody that uh, they'd bring in for a look as well. Yeah. Any chance you think Sean Jefferson comes back? And I don't know. I don't think he's qualified to be certainly not as qualified as these guys are to be the OC because I want an OC that has that quarterback's coach background because we probably are going to be dealing with a rookie quarterback. But, you know, I, I don't maybe Troy's a very good coach. I don't know, but I've seen nothing out of the wide receivers lately, right? And and maybe, you know, maybe the situation is that, you know, it's something similar he was in. Carolina last year so it's maybe something similar with Carolina where you haven't seen a ton of growth but I feel like Troy maybe could go somewhere else in the staff um but wide receiver coach I just feel like isn't it for him 
Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, that's a tough one. It's like, is it the chicken or the egg, right? You know, that receiver position has obviously been tough, but is it's tried much to work with there. Yeah, <laughs> right, that's true. You know, like uh, talent-wise, that's been a mess of a position for several years now. As far as Jefferson is concerned, you know, he's a really well-respected guy. And, you know, he's been associate head coach for the Cardinals. I think that's where he was last year when the Patriots interviewed him. Yeah. Um, so he's been around. He's, again, he's he's very well-respected. And so it wouldn't shock me, you know, especially if Mayo, one of the things that Mayo said to me in our one-on-one that we did um, – which is on the next Pats podcast. Uh, if people want to find that, I believe if that's not posted now, it'll be posted early tomorrow morning. Um, was that he's going to be encouraging of former players to come back and, you know, whether that's visits, guest speaker opportunities or coaching opportunities. It, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he is looking for people he trusts and that he understands they understand what it takes to do in the moment when the reps are live and how to get players to respond and react the way that Mayo wants them to. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he's making calls to players right now and trying to see, you know, gauge their interest, especially guys that, that would have um, backgrounds on the offensive side of things. Cause I think if all things being equal, he'd like to keep the defensive staff as, similar as possible to the staff they had last year. You know, why change it? That that went pretty well. Um, But, you know, Sean Jefferson fills, obviously, Patriots fans know, like he he fills that mold, if that's what you're looking for. If you like, you know, it's what they're doing in Detroit, right? How many former players on the coaching staff in Detroit? And they really feel like that's helped them. That that brings something to the table that um, some others might not. So it wouldn't shock me at all if, if he was back for another interview this year. That's a good point. And, and I do think, you know, with these kids now, I, I do wonder if they respond more to the former players. And you also see now so many more former players trying to get into coaching. Whereas I feel like, yes, there are former players that got into coaching before, but I don't know if if it was as prevalent as it is now. It may have been because, you know, there are, I mean, Herm Edwards is a former player. There's a bunch of guys that are former players, but I just don't know if it's quite as prevalent, uh, if it's more prevalent now than it was, you know? I think coaches are realizing, whether they're former players or not, that one of the most important things you can do as a coach right now is get your players to play for you and get them to respond to you in a very real and at times emotional way. And so getting that connection with the player to be able to reach them in that way and get them to respond to your coaching in that way, I think can be a real barrier. But if you're a former player, part of that barrier comes down almost immediately because the player that you're trying to coach has a almost built-in respect for who you are because they understand what, what you went through to get to that point in your life. You, right. Okay. This guy played. Okay. I I know he knows what he's talking about. There's an instant credibility that comes with that. That might just allow for a, a quicker 
adaptation to a new coaching staff. You know, okay, I, I might not know this guy, but I know what his past is. And so I'm going to eat up everything he tells me because he had a real career in the league. He won games that mattered in this league. And maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm a rookie. Maybe I'm a second-year guy. I'm still on my first contract. I'm trying to make as much money as that guy did. I'm trying to win as many games as that guy did. So I better listen. And so, that you know, there's there's real logic in going with the former player route. It's it's not just so that the coaching staff roster looks good, you know, when you're logging on to Patriots.com. It's, you know, those guys and their words carry real weight when the players in the meeting room know what your resume is. Speaking of that relationship, I know you were there for Mayo's introduction what was uh, what was the reaction like from the players that were in attendance there? And also, you know, do you have any reaction to which players were there in attendance? I know Mac Jones was one of them. Yeah, he was. He was the only. I think he was the only offensive person that was there. Um, hmm. I I'm not sure. I saw an offensive coach. Now I was uh, uh, right up the front, front row for the for the press conference. So there were some people that were behind me that I that I genuinely didn't see. Um, not a lot of offensive people aside from Mac Jones. Defensively, Juwan Bentley, Jonathan Jones, um, they were there and, and spent a lot of time there. Deb McCordy obviously was there, ended up asking a question, uh, and you know was able to talk to some of those guys after the fact for a little bit. So you know, from a player standpoint, you know, a lot of guys aren't still here in town, so I don't I don't blame them for not you know being here in mass for the announcement. I would say the entire front office was there um, and almost the entire defensive coaching staff. Um, although I didn't see either Belichick, which makes sense. Might, might've been a little bit, it's a little bit awkward, you know, that even if they have a good relationship with Mayo, which is my understanding they do, he's still replacing your dad, you know, I don't know. So that maybe that was intentional um, yeah. on their end, but um, you know, so Real presence there, and, and I think the players are, are thrilled. Honestly, I think they're over the moon. You know, the the guys that were there, Bentley Jones, especially, they've had a chance to get to know this guy. You know, as a coach since 2019, um, and they 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 they'll tell you they they love the guy and they love his honesty and a lot of the things and ways in which Mayo acted at the podium. That's how he is. That's how he's in the meeting room. And so, you know, I think it's it's um, amusing to them to see him in that setting, sitting next to his boss, everybody's boss, and and be correcting him on, you know, pronunciations and, you know, talking about race, you know, very openly at the point like that, you know, that's the guy they know. And and they know they're going to they're going to basically get the same person or they're assuming they're going to get the same person. Wouldn't he? you know, officially starts as head coach and he's in those meeting rooms and he's on the practice field with them. So um, he's, he is very intentional about creating relationships with these guys. And so, especially the guys he's been around for a few years now, they feel like they know him really well and they feel like he gets the best out of them because he's gone out of his way to get to know them really well. And um, I think he was pretty open about how, you know, human interaction and the, and the way that, people communicate with each other now in the building is going to be something that he's really focused on because it's clearly, there's going to be a very different approach Mayo versus Belichick. That's obviously very clear. I, I think yeah. it's been clear the way 
everybody's talked about it too, that it seems like that may have been the biggest issue the last couple years in the building was um, it's not like people had bad relationships, but it does seem like things were a little bit testier. I don't think that's super shocking. You know, Bill Belichick is a hard coach. Uh, That's part of the appeal. And also when you aren't winning, it's a harder message to sell. And when you don't have a six time Super Bowl winning quarterback in the locker room to back up his message and be a leader from the players, it's also harder to sell. So I think, uh, you know, why they went in this direction makes sense. And it's kind of obvious. We'll just have to see, you know, it's easy to say all this stuff in the off season when right. you're when it's you know the first week and it's a, a breath of fresh air how this is when it's yeah how, how it is in week three if they just come off you know losing back-to-back games they're one and two to start the season that'll be another thing when you know when and if we get to that point i mean if they're not winning that's that's one thing i asked him you know really trying to pull some some football philosophy out of him in the one-on-one that we did because we, you really didn't if if you were as a fan if you were interested to know what Gerard Mayo is about as a head coach, what he wants his football team to be defined by. You didn't necessarily get that at the press conference. You know, I think back to a few years ago now, but Detroit when they, you know, hired Dan Campbell and he has his knee biting press conference. Right. And, you know, he's very open about, okay, this is what we're going to, we're going to be, you know, relentless. I'll I'll replace knee biting with relentless. And, and they use the word grit, and grit has become their word. That's their brand. It's written on the walls there in Detroit. They're talking about it after the game the other day, first mm-hmm. playoff win in mm-hmm. however long. And Brad Holmes, one of the first things he brings up with is, is how they've attacked their jobs with grit. And so they're very clear and open um, about having a defined identity and you know, I tried to ask Mayo what, how he would, how, you know, I, I think I, I left it as sort of a fill in the blank. The Patriots under Gerard Mayo will be about what? Expecting one of those adjectives. And, you know, toughness, you know, relentlessness, grit, so, you know, something. And and he said winning. And he's like, listen, and I kind of laughed. I'm like, well, but how do you get there? And he's like, hey, if we don't win, it doesn't, like, none of the other stuff matters. So, right. like, let's start with that. You know, day one here, as we sit right here, what we're going to be about is winning. And however we get there is how we get there. That's what I'm focused on right now. So uh, it is easy to, to speak in, in these terms now. I do wonder, you know, what their guiding light will be when stuff goes wrong. Because, you know, the closest thing that, that I think we got to a football philosophy yesterday, um, he said it to me in our one-on-one, I believe he said it to Mike Reese as well. You know, we sort of refer back to some, you know, some comments or some traits, I should say, that Bill Belichick was always promoting. Yeah. Smart, tough, dependable. You know, he even said to me in our interview, I, I believe the way he put it was, you know, coach always says, he's, he's still calling him coach. So on the one hand, he, he is trying to point out I'm different from Bill. I'm not Bill. We're going to do X, Y, and Z, and it's all going to be very different. You're, you're not even going to recognize it under Gerard Mayo. Well, he also has this other stuff that, you know, he thinks works. Hard work works. You know, like he, how many times did he say that? You know, that's a Bill Belichick thing too. So he he did sort of, in some ways, hesitate to say pay paid homage, but 
there was a, a doffing of the cap in some respects in Bill Belichick's direction because that's that's the system, that's the philosophy under which Mayo has worked for so long as a player and a coach. So, you know, he, if he's going to he's going to refer back to what he knows. So smart, tough, dependable. That that might be what they're trying to pursue this year and that's okay. I think his hire yeah. is all about and the reason why, you know, the crafts are so comfortable going to him without even conducting interviews is what he represents, which is the ability to carry over the things they like and keep them because he was a part of those things, but also change what needs to be changed. And right. so you're going to get it. The, the message is going to be delivered in a very different way and how the team goes about its business behind the scenes and interacts with each other on a daily basis is going to be very different, but some of the other stuff might remain the same. And it'll be interesting to see just how that all meshes together. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. I mean, and cause you're right. Not only did he grow up, like he got drafted by the Patriots. He retired as a Patriot. All of his coaching is with the Patriots. It's not as though, you know, anything, he hasn't done anything else. He hasn't been anywhere else. He hasn't seen anything else. It's just been the Patriots. And so in some respects, you have to look at it and say, well, where else is he going to get his stuff from? Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have interpersonal skills that maybe Belichick didn't have. But at the same time, it's like some of the stuff that's come out lately, I'm like, no one has said a bad word about Bill Belichick. Outside of Asante Samuel, Cassius Marsh, and sometimes Ted Johnson, none of his players have said anything bad about him. So, like, clearly he had pretty good interpersonal skills, right? And maybe it was just because he – you know, they won with him. And so, yeah, it was hard and he was a pain in the ass sometimes and, you know, but they won with him. So it doesn't matter. But like, for me, I just look at it and say like, well, yeah, fine. Maybe he'll have better relationships with the guys and maybe he'll be more of a player's coach, coach, quote unquote. But like, what does that mean? Like, do you, maybe he's a guy like Dan Campbell. Cause Dan Campbell might be a player's coach. He's a hard ass. Like he's pushing those guys to work their asses off. Right. He's not. And so, you don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, take it easy all the time to be a player's coach. And maybe that's what, what he's going for. But I just think that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how different it really looks. He can say it's going to look different. I'm curious to see how different it's really going to look. What I would say is in terms of the player interaction um, and the relationship building, if it's not vastly different, something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah. It needs to be different. There needs to be a, a different level of connection from the head coach, especially to the younger players. Now, you're right that, you know, Bill Belichick's a, a he's been a great coach for a long time. And so you're not gonna you're not gonna hear a lot of people um bash the way he's done things. But I can tell you, there are players, guys that aren't even that young. Um, like, I've talked to players this year, third, fourth year in the league. And, you know, they're talking to me about how they feel like they just this season, again, third or fourth year in under Bill Belichick, feel like they kind of have broken down a wall with Bill. And, like, I, I really yeah. felt like I could talk to Bill this year. And I'm sitting there as a reporter and I'm saying – You've been here for three years and for, you know, or four years. And in the three previous years, you felt like you couldn't talk to your head coach. How is that healthy? 
Yeah. You didn't feel like you could go up and ask the guy a question. And I, you know, so on, on the one hand, I, I say that and it's surprising to me. On the other, I kind of get it. Bill Belichick can be an intimidating guy. And he is, has been a legend for a long, long time. These guys grew up, you know, especially the younger ones. They're in diapers when the guys, you know, winning Super, three Bowls. Super Bowls already. Winning. And yeah. so he just is viewed in, in this light that is through no fault of either parties, really. You know, Bill's 72. These guys are 22. Like, I don't know how he would necessarily approach it to just go up to guys and just start shooting the breeze with them and asking them to come in and, you know, talk ball randomly over the course of the day. And and he probably is doing that with some. So I don't want to act like I'm speaking for the entire locker room here. I can just tell you some guys didn't feel like they, they had a real relationship with the head coach. Mm. And, and that's not a crime by any stretch on Bill Belichick's behalf, because it's, it's impossible. You've got, 65 guys in there, you know, it's right. really difficult to, to have heart to hearts with, with all of them. Um, but I think, I think Mayo in terms of the, the relationship part of it is it's just going to work a little bit differently for the vast majority of Bill's head coaching career. Players didn't need some of that stuff the way they need it. Now it's just a different game. It's a different job. The job sure. is, is goes way beyond game planning and teaching techniques and teaching concepts and making in-game decisions. It's about relationship building, I think, way more than it ever has been. And I think it's why you're seeing guys like Dan Campbell or on the other end of the spectrum, not a former player, although he played in college, Ivy League, but we'll give him that. He's a smart guy. Mike McDaniel. You know, Mike McDaniel's not a not a hard ass who's going to, you know, be cursing guys out and then – um. That's true. You That's know, very and true. then ignoring yeah. them in the hallways. You know, igno- literally not looking at them as he walks by them in the hallway. That's not going to be Mike McDaniel's approach. Uh, you know, everybody's a player's coach now. If you're not, you, you know, you're probably not going to last very long. Well, and I, I think I've made this comparison on here before, but in in some ways, this reminds me of what the Bruins did recently, where you go from one established veteran head coach to another. And it's not really an indictment of what the previous guy did. It's that you need a change in scenery, a change in vibes in the locker room, different eyes on the same guys to see it in a fresh light and make it work better. And what did you get out of that? The Bruins set their record for most wins in a season. And the other head coach goes on and ends up winning the Stanley Cup. It's a win-win for both sides. And I think... I don't know. I think sometimes we almost make up, obviously, you know, Bill Belichick, six Super Bowl wins as a head coach. It's a big deal to see him go, but it does feel like at times we can make a little bit too much of it. And sometimes moving on from a head coach isn't necessarily a sign saying this guy failed. It's just we need something different. It's not an indictment on the previous thing. It's just we need a a shift in what's going on here to, to make things work and give it a jolt. And that this feels more like that than anything else. Yeah, I think that's completely fair, Matt, because if he goes to Atlanta and they get a quarterback and all of a sudden they win the division there, like it doesn't mean, you know, Bill was completely incapable here in New England and he all of a sudden learned how to be a head coach again down in Atlanta. It's no, it was time in one place and it had run its course in one place. And in another, it could be exactly what that team needs. And maybe that's the case for Atlanta. You know, who knows? Maybe they, they need exactly what he would provide 
you know, in terms of discipline and accountability and just tone and seriousness, you know, like there are some locker rooms that could probably use a lot more of that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he, do, if he does end up in Atlanta and it feels like, it feels like we're, we're not all that far away from that happening. You know, just how those players respond because they'll have young players too. Yeah. But they may respond in a much, much different way um, than the guys that Belichick has had here. Well, I know one guy's going to be pissed is uh, U. Smith because he finally <laughs> had a good year in Atlanta and Belichick's going to come back down and ruin it for him again. But Oh, and maybe – how about McDaniels too? And maybe McDaniels is with him as offensive coordinator. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, Do you suck. think – do you think that's what ends up happening? Do you think it's built to Atlanta with, you know, maybe McDaniels, maybe Patricia ends up there as a defensive guy, you know, a bunch of a bunch of former coaches that he's been with? <laughs> I think it's possible, right? I mean, again, if you're Bill and you don't want to have to completely refresh and reframe every bit of infrastructure that exists with whatever organization he ends up joining, wouldn't you love to just get the band back together and bring them all with you? And, you know, yeah. that your infrastructure travels. Um, you know, the one the one bit about Bill O'Brien leaving the Patriots and going to Ohio State, I don't know if anybody had him going to Ohio State. You know, I think a lot of people thought that he could leave. And if he leaves, he could go with Bill Belichick. And if that happened, okay, now the dominoes are starting to fall. If he's the offensive coordinator in Atlanta with Bill Belichick, well, does Josh McDaniels also want to go? Or does that mean he's available to stay in New England? Right. We know he's been around. He was at the game, the the season finale. He was at Bill Belichick's press conference. You know, does that mean he's now available to go down to Atlanta with Bill Belichick? And does that take an option off the board for the Patriots? You know, like there's some interesting um, ripple Problems. effects. Yeah, ri- ripple yeah. effects for, for the Patriots um, in terms of who might be available to them. Um, yeah. Now that O'Brien is in o- at Ohio State. Now again, that said, I just don't, I don't know how great a fit McDaniel's is for New England right now. Aside from this, what I've been led to believe in the past, at least the recent past, has been a great relationship with ownership. Yeah, and you know that that matters. So maybe he does end up here in New England, but it looks like that offensive coordinator job with or for Bill Belichick, wherever he ends up is, is going to be open and there for him if, if he wants it. So that would be really interesting to see uh, who ends up going with Bill and what that means for the Patriots. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. Speaking ahead, of the, yeah, speaking of the coordinator job, I had a, a question from our last show. Um, I was thinking about, they interviewed for the special teams court or not. They didn't interview yet, but they requested to interview for the special teams coordinator job. It's my understanding that there are people currently in that job. Does that mean that contracts have expired on the current special team staff for New England? Or are they openly looking to interview people while the job is filled? Do you have any insight there? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it was reported that they interviewed. Um, they held an interview for the special teams coordinator role. So it means something must have happened with Cam Accord, right? So my, my guess is... Um, my guess is that his contract was up. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but I wonder if he would be somebody who goes with Bill Belichick. You know, I think the special teams, uh, it's no secret, had a rough year this year and yeah. have had a couple of, of tough seasons here. So um, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. 
But again, what I just find it fascinating that you have a, a head coach who hasn't been many other places. And so I would love to know what his Rolodex looks like, right? When it comes to potential yeah. assistance, because it's not like he's, you know, there are some, some coaches who are around his age who are, you know, 37, 38, but who've been with over the last 15 years have been with five teams and have made connections both on the personnel side and the coaching side. Um, and when they get opportunities to be head coaches, then they can, you know, maybe pluck from those relationships or the relationships they have through their agents. And that's something that Mayo could do as well. Um, but I just, I find it fascinating, you know, because that special teams thing, nobody talks about the special teams coordinator job, right? Everybody's talking about GM and OC and quarterback and all these changes that are about to be made, but the special teams job's a real job. And, you know, until they completely eliminate all kicking plays, which they are dead set on doing until that happens, like it, you know, that is going to be an important role, whoever gets it. Yeah. I mean, to your point, to your point, like Shane Waldron, who we talked about, right. Has, been with the Patriots and UMass and the Redskins and the Rams and the Seahawks. And he's what, like 44. So he's not much older than Mayo, but he's bounced around. Now, of course he's been a coach a lot longer than Mayo has, but like, you know, the point stands that like, he's been all over the place. knows a ton of people, you know, and Mayo's just been here. So it's definitely, you know, you wonder what it looks like. And, is it is it your understanding that Gerard Mayo is the one who is assembling the coaching staff and requesting the interviews? Is he getting help from the front office? Uh, are others involved? You know, do we have any idea who's behind this process? Yeah, no. I, I, what I believe is these are going to be Gerard Mayo decisions, but he is going to, as he mentioned his press conference several times, he's going to lean on other people. So he's going to lean on experts. Um, you know, I think when it comes to the offensive side of things he's going to lean on people he knows who understand that side of the ball and understand what they're looking at league-wide on that side of the ball and what's working especially with the young quarterbacks um you know i look at jordan love and cj stroud right now you know throw brock purdy in there too even though he's not a first round pick you know gee just how beneficial these often these shanahan mcbay style offenses can be for these young players, whether it's Bobby Slowick running it or Matt LaFleur running it. It's a, it's all from the same family. And um, so he's going to, he's going to lean on people who know these guys. So even if there's not an outright previous connection with some of these guys, I'm sure Mayo and others will do their digging on them and, and find people who do know these guys a little bit better um, as they go through the process. But I think it's going to be his choice. And it's actually interesting. One thing now that we're talking about this uh, that he mentioned in our one-on-one was, you know, I asked him essentially, and, um, you know, luckily he doesn't take offense to this when I when I say it to him. Uh, you know, everybody knows we, he worked with us at NBC Sports Boston and was on with us on Quick Slants for several years and got to know him there. And so um, I essentially asked him, you know, what makes you qualified to hire the, your defensive guy? And you're going to hire the guy who shapes this offense and the, the future of this offense for, if it goes well, the next several years. And he said, look, I'm, pro- I'm probably not going to bat a thousand my first year. I might get a few hires wrong, mm-hmm. but ownership is something that can help us here. You know, he's talking about Robert Kraft, Jonathan Kraft, 
ownership has the ability and the resources to really help us out with something like the offensive coordinator search is how we put it and not so many words. And so that to me is interesting. I don't, you know, I would have loved to sit down with them longer to talk about, you know, the details on that. Does that mean he's going to be getting input for the, from them on names specifically or are the resources there, just the research and analysis that they have on offenses across the league. And so they can pick and choose from what they like based on some of the advanced numbers that they have. Um, you know, so in some way, shape, or form, though, ownership will play a role in who they end up hiring for offensive coordinator, too. That's what it sounds like. Again, it's going to be Mayo's call, in my opinion. But he's going to be leaning on others. And in this case, his bosses, which I find interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to, we, we got to take a quick break, and then I want to get into um, uh, some of the just some of the college quarterbacks really quick, uh, just heading leading into the draft. Just because you are the next Pats guy, you are always focused on the draft and what's coming up uh, in in the previous or in the next year. But Murph pointed out, and a few people have, have talked about it too in the chat as well. Um, GM, do you think do you think it ends up being Elliot Wolf or Matt Grow, or do you think they're going to go out and try to find someone? like a Trey Brown or like, and I don't even know who runs the Packers, but Jesus, the Packers have done such a good job of drafting, you know, young skilled guys outside of the first round in the last few years. Do they go out and try to get somebody like that to bring him in as GM? Obviously it's going to be after the draft. It sounds like, but do you think it will be, you know, internal uh, promotion or someone from outside? So let's just reiterate what Kraft said during the introductory presser, which is he wants to evaluate the guys that they have in house. Mm -hmm. He does want to appoint someone to make the decisions when the decisions on the roster need to be made, which is coming up soon. The window to franchise tag players comes at the end of February. So, you know, you're talking about, and you know, the combine is before that or right around that same time, um, end of February. So, like, if you're going to appoint that person, that's going to happen relatively soon. And if that person's going to have in their contract, you know, chief personnel duties, that's a job that I believe to satisfy league rules, you have to open up to a real search. So... I find it interesting because on the one hand, they want to evaluate the guys they have on the other. If they do want to appoint someone and give that person real power, you have to have interviews. And so, which is it? Are you going to evaluate the guys in house or are you going to interview guys and then give someone the ultimate decision-making power for the roster? It was a little contradictory or at the very least, the timelines were a little hard to follow. And so what I would say is this, since those comments got made by Kraft, there are a number of people in personnel um, in the league who have been sort of in and around this situation. Um, maybe guys who had their eyes on this job, um, guys that are here with the team right now and following it up close. You talk to them, and what they will tell you, they believe, is that they're going to be sticking with the status quo at least through the draft, Mm -hmm. if not longer. I would not anticipate a general manager gets hired 
with that title. That's not my expectation. If they give the decision-making power to someone, again, without the title, I, I think they've got to interview for that. It would make very little sense to me, all that being said, to if they do decide to add a body after the draft, to give that person shot-calling ability. Because all the shots have been called. Right. Every important decision's been made by the time the draft's over. I mean, just about. You can still make trades, and you're going to get to training camp, and you're going to be cutting down to 53, and all that matters. But you just use, you know, you're among the league leaders of cap space that you just used on your free agents in March, and you got the number three overall pick, and you're picking again in the 30s at the top of the second round. And then, so you're going to let somebody who's internally here that you're trying to evaluate make all those decisions, and then at the end of all of that, you're going to bring in somebody over the top of them to be their boss? Yeah, it seems strange. That doesn't make sense. So okay. I think what might happen, guys, is Elliot Wolf somehow um, establishes himself as the lead personnel person. And maybe after the draft, who knows, maybe before the draft, although, again, people in the league aren't, aren't really expecting a whole lot to be added here. Somebody like a Dave Ziegler gets added. Somebody who has a good relationship with Elliot Wolf, who still has a good relationship with the Crafts, but not as the boss, as another voice, as added brain power to the front office, as a right-hand man, maybe, for somebody like Wolf, who's been a general manager, who's run drafts, obviously not for very long in Vegas, um, but he had a he had a pretty productive offseason here, you know, in that Nick Ethereo, Macro, Scott Pioli. You know, VP of player personnel role. And he only did it for one offseason, 2021. But that was, you know, the Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, Ramondre Stevenson draft and that massive free agent spending offseason. So um, there's there are some conflicting messages, I would say, coming out of Foxborough in terms of how the personnel is going to be handled. But the people around the situation believe that this is basically going to be it. Um, and if anything, maybe you get a slight change after the draft. But um probably not a true general manager. Yeah. I just think, and I'm, I'm very worried. I'm very worried about that because I, and I, you know, I said so much on, on, on Pat's pulpit and, and here as well, that like, you just, you're running it back. You're basically, you know, you're hoping that Gerard Mayo is the next Bill Belichick, essentially that he can coach and find guys. And that, that worries me, you know, in the same well, way if, that drafting Matt this, Jones though, is trying to find the new a new Tom Brady. What if I say this, Pat? What if, you know, Elliot Wolf is considered a general manager quality person based on his resume, right? He hasn't yeah. done it before. Right. But he's he's there. I mean, if he's the guy who is essentially running personnel, does that bother you? Or is it the fact that they haven't? you know, that maybe they're not going to open it up to a search or, you know, like what's the most bothersome part about it? Because there's, I would say, you know, if, if team X was looking for a general manager and take the Patriots out of it and they, they interviewed, you know, you mentioned Trey Brown from Cincinnati. He's a really impressive guy, Elliot Wolf and Dave Ziegler. And they came away with, at the end of that process, they decided Elliot Wolf was the best guy to be a general manager, you know, like that's a realistic thing. So is it the, the person and his background having worked under bill or is it the lack of a process that bothers you most? Um, 
So it's a little bit of both. I mean, the the thing for me is that I don't know that 2022 draft was so disastrous, right? And that off season itself, and then the decision making that happened, really since Brady's been gone, but even before Brady was gone, and I know he wasn't. I think he got here in 2020, and he was really just a consultant in 2020 when he came here, so he wasn't necessarily the guy. But I believe he was the director of scouting in 2022 when they drafted Tyquan Thornton and they drafted Cole Strange in the first round. By the way, Cole Strange was Ted Karras' replacement. All you have to do was sign Ted Karras, and you don't have to draft Cole Strange in the first round. So, like, those are decisions where it's like – Or Joe Tooney. <laughs> or, Joe, or, or Joe Tooney. Or don't trade Shaq Mason or any of those things. Like, that, you know, those are the things that's like – that's the stuff that really annoys me. And I wonder if we're – and now listen, the 2023 draft, as bad as the 22 draft was, the 2021 draft, you got Barmore and Ramondre Stevenson out of it, and that's really solid. And the 2023 draft, it looks like you hit a home run with Christian Gonzalez, who got hurt, but you have to assume that's not going to be, you know, it's not going to fall him around. He looked like a stud when he was out there. Keon White looked good. Damara Douglas played really well this year. Marte Mapu played decent. City So looked good at guard, even though you didn't draft him to play guard. Like, so they hit, they did hit on, on a lot of guys this year. So now you look at it and say, okay, well, maybe that's the case. I don't love the fact that the process of it, right, that they, that they're just like, no, fine. You know, like, and so those are the things that I, I don't love, you know, where it's like, we're all set now. Elliot Wolf is here. And I just feel like, you know, the old guys got, and again, I felt like they did the same thing with Brady. The old guy's gone. We'll be fine. Jared Stidham's the, the new guy. We're okay. Everything's good. Don't worry about it. We don't have to draft, you know, Jalen Hurts in the first round. Like it's not, it's fine, you know? And that's, that's concerning to me. And again, doesn't mean it won't work out. Maybe Elliot Wolf is fantastic and he becomes the next, you know, Scott Pioli guru and, and we're all set. But it's just the process of it is what is what's concerning to me. Yeah. And I think that's fair. You know, this is an opportunity for the first time in a generation for you to bring in new voices right. and, you know, learn about some, some new approaches to football and, to potentially bypass that again, Robert Kraft did mention something about interviewing the other day. So maybe he has it in his mind. Hey, he'd like to give Elliot Wolf 53 man roster power, but he can't do it until he holds interviews and maybe something happens during the interview process and they fall in love with the guy. Um, that's, that's not Elliot Wolf or macro. I don't know. Uh, maybe there's the potential for that. So maybe your fears will be allayed at that point, but yeah, I get, I get your concern all the way around. Yeah. I mean, these guys have been involved. They've been here. So they've been involved in some, some good drafts and some not so good drafts. And, um, you know, I do think Bill Belichick is the guy who decides, you know, and I think it is frustrating for people in the front office often. Um, you know, I remember being told, uh, during that 2022 draft, that the buzz out of the building, the, the the morning of the first round of the draft, the buzz in the building, not out of the building, the buzz within the building was, you know, emanating from Bill's office. Bill Belichick's office essentially was Cole Strange was Bill's guy. This is hours before the draft even starts. And they were picking at the time, I think, at 22 overall. 22, yeah. So I know that was a head scratcher for people in the building because it was – we don't even know how the board's going to fall. You know, like we already know who we're taking at 22 and that happens from time to time, but 
I think usually those teams that know who they really, really want are up higher in the draft. And so they know they have got a pretty good chance of getting somebody who's really good. No, it was just UT Chattanooga. That's who Bill wanted. He sort of had his heart set on him and, and he knew he could even trade down, which they did. Um, and they passed on the opportunity to draft Trent McDuffie and they traded down and they ended up getting the guy that Bill wanted all along. And I think that was frustrating because again, to the people who spend all year right. looking at these guys to not, you know, to go into the draft and Bill looked at all the research and he watched film and, you know, I give him, I give him credit for that. He doesn't do as much as those other guys. And even he would acknowledge that, um, you know, they're doing the, the brunt of the work, but to, to go into a draft and say, yeah, we're going to take the guard out of UT Chattanooga, you know, if he's, if he's there for us late in the first round, it's like, there's some other good players here that might actually fall to us. Are you sure? And, right, you know, right. so I think that was just, one example of many where the front office guys, I'm not saying this was grow or wolf. They might've loved Cole strange. They might've loved Tyquan Thornton. They could be as responsible, you know, as anybody outside of bill for those picks. But um, I think the reason why Kraft keeps saying he wants to evaluate these guys that are already here is because he knows the people that are on the team right now, aren't there because of these guys. They're there because of bill Belichick. Yeah. And they want to see what these guys can do in terms of player acquisition. Certainly true. Certainly true. All right, let's. We got to take a quick break. We're running like way far behind on the break. We'll we're <laughs> gonna come back and we'll just talk about the quarterbacks really quick. We'll get you out of here, Phil. We've been we've been going for an hour. <laughs> You're a champ, dude, and and uh, tons like so much good. The conversation has been fantastic. Yes, so really good stuff. Um, so we'll we'll take a quick break. We'll be back um, and we'll talk about the uh, the rookies coming out and who we might target uh, at the top of the draft. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Iowa, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelpline.ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right. So we are back and we seem to have lost Phil, but he's, oh, there he is. He's back. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. So we're at sitting, Patriots sitting at number three. I think, you know, there's a lot of question marks as to what Chicago is going to do at number one. They obviously have Justin Fields. There's a chance that they move on from Justin Fields and they're going to want to trade him. Maybe the Patriots will be interested in, in trading for him. There's a chance that they keep Justin Fields, and in that case, we'll probably be looking to move the number one pick, and the Patriots might trade up to the number one pick. 
if you had your choice of quarterbacks, Phil, you had the number one overall pick. Let's say the Patriots make a trade. They get to the number one overall pick. Who is your guy at number one? And then, follow-up question, if, assuming Caleb Williams and Drake May go to one-two, now maybe maybe number one isn't even Caleb Williams and Drake May for you, but assuming those two go number two, one-two, would you take a quarterback at three? Yes. And so I need to be consistent here, at least for now, until I, I have a change in heart and I reserve the right to change my of heart and my mind and my soul. And We've seen and nothing of these players either. Like, it's early. Well, you know, I, I've, I've seen – I've watched a fair amount. I've sure. watched a fair amount at this point. You know, they're not going to play any games between now and the draft. And so I've watched a fair amount of all three of the consensus top three quarterbacks. And I'll answer your second question first, which is, do I still go quarterback at number three if Williams and May are off the board? The answer is yes. I go with Jaden Daniels because I might take Jaden Daniels over both Williams and May, even if I had the choice of all three. That's how much I like Jaden Daniels. I'm a big fan of his game. He is, I think, the definition of the modern-day quarterback. And he's coming off of one of the best – collegiate seasons we have seen in the sec really good performances against alabama and florida running by guys that are five-star recruits and he is a tremendous tremendous athlete he can make explosive plays with his legs he can scramble out of trouble which i think is a must that is not a side benefit that is a must in today's game he can do that and he can kill teams by doing that Really hard, in my opinion, with a guy like that who, if if he ran, I think would run somewhere in the four fours, and yeah. that's yeah. that's from people in the league kind of gauging it, um, and based on what they're hearing. But that's flying for a guy who's six three. You know, I think he's going to be a real problem because of his mobility. But that's not the reason why I'm I'm as big a fan as I am. It's he's arguably the most accurate deep passer in this year's class he doesn't turn the ball over he had 20 interceptions in five college seasons that is remarkable in a college game where you throw the ball as much as you do now and for a guy who did especially this past season throw it down the field quite a bit you know this is not all rpos and screens so he takes care of the ball he's explosive with his arm he's explosive with his legs I've seen him play from the pocket. I've seen him stand in and take wicked shots to be able to fit the ball into tight windows. He can drive it to the side. He has plenty of arm. I don't think his arm is as good as Caleb Williams's. I mean, I know it's not. I don't think it's as good as Drake May's, but I think it's plenty good enough. And for all those reasons, and for some other you know reasons where I might downgrade some of the other guys, to me, he feels like a really – smart bet near the top of the first round. You know, the a couple of things that I'm a little concerned with is I think um, Drake May, who I really like, I do. I, I All these guys are really good. So, it, honestly, as it stands right now, if any of them fall to three, if, it, if it's Williams, Daniels, one, two, take Drake May at number three. Yeah. Like, he's got every tool. Um, he can run. He's got a huge arm. He's a little... I think less polished on some of the 
throws you would expect your guy to make. You know, it's what always what made Brady great, right? Not wanting anybody to be Brady at this point, but you know, what made him great was he made every throw he should make. <laughs> and then he made some special ones on top of it, but he never missed the throw you expected him to make. And the thing with Caleb Williams to me that's a little concerning is the ball security, you know, and just his overall approach offensively, you know, and there are going to be offensive coordinators who are okay with that, the freelance element to his game, because it's part of what makes him so special. He's so, so physically talented. He had 16 fumbles this past year alone, 16 in one season. And I understand you're trying to be Superman because your defense thinks and you got to score 50 every game just to try to win. And so maybe that's leading to some bad habits. But that scares me a little bit. It's just the volatile nature of his game. Um, again, whereas compared to Daniels, tougher conference, better defenses, turns it over much less. Now, the one I'll, – I'll, I'll be honest on Daniels. He's not a perfect prospect. He's, he's skinny. He doesn't slide. I think he's, you know, there are some dangers there in terms of injury risk. Um, and he threw to some unbelievable, he's going to have two first round receivers in this year's draft. Yeah. So you two want to hold that against him. Guys. Yeah. If you want to hold that against him, you can hold it against him. Now, Joe Burrow had some unbelievable talent that he was throwing to at LSU too. And he looks like he's a pretty good quarterback. So, you know, you got to surround the guy when he gets to the league. You got to give him what he needs to have success, which the Bengals have done with Burrow and the Patriots would need to do with Daniels. Anybody would need to do with any of these guys. Um, but there are some things that I just, I really like about Daniels's game. And I feel like the questions about him are a little less pronounced than some of the questions of the other two guys. Now, I think my, my biggest concern with Daniels to me is his, his age. Um, now if we, let's say we compare Jaden Daniels and Drake may here, um, I would argue that, you know, I think by production, Drake may's best season had better production than Jaden Daniels best season and Drake may's best season came in his first year as a college starter when he was 19 years old and, you know, Jaden Daniels best season comes in his fifth year as a college starter when he is 22, 23 years old. Um, you know, that's something that scares me a little bit if i'm looking at these guys uh, i actually i uh, had somebody send me this article last night and it's a fantasy football article but it was one evaluating how often uh quarterbacks are to become viable fantasy quarterbacks uh, based on their draft position and they mentioned that for uh for this is just for hit rate for guys who are 21 or 20 20 or 21 years old in the draft is a 42% hit rate in the first round, 22 or older. It's a 6% hit rate for guys who are three or four year, three or four year college players, 35% hit rate in the first round, five years or more, 0% hit rate. Now this was written uh, without Joe Burrow in it. Joe Burrow would be somebody who would move those numbers a little bit. And this is since 2012, but, um, I get I get concerned there, which I think then if you're looking at youth leads you to the JJ McCarthy question as somebody who people have all over the board as a, a young quarterback in this draft. I have seen uh, Derek Klassen, who is somebody I respect a lot with his quarterback views, I think had JJ McCarthy as a fourth or fifth round guy. He was quarterback seven on his boards. And then you go over to Dane Brugler, another guy who's very well respected, has him going at pick. 19 in the draft saying it's a high second round guy who's going to go in the first. Do you have any opinion there, Phil? 
Yeah, I think he, you know, he. what's really interesting about him is just the lack of reps. They don't, they don't throw in Michigan. <laughs> you know, they just it's not what they want to do, you know. And so I know, like, my buddy Matt Castle did a lot of Big Ten games this year and watched a lot of J.J. McCarthy. And, you know, he's heard the same thing that I'm sure Dane Brugler is hearing, which is the league likes J.J. McCarthy. Matt Castle, I think, likes but doesn't love. Like, I think he likes some yeah. of the tools. He can obviously move yeah. around, and he's got a strong enough he's, arm. And when he when he is asked, to, yeah, and when he is asked to throw, my light goes out on me here. We have, <laughs> we have officially killed my light um, <laughs> on the podcast tonight. But um, you know, I think the age question is a is a real is a really interesting one, especially at this position, because I think what what you're looking for in a young quarterback at the NFL is developing and development when it comes to the mental side of the game. I don't know how many guys come into the league and they're just like physically not ready. I actually remember people saying that about Mac Jones and maybe they were part of that was right. Like, Oh, he needs to get his arm stronger. His body's not ready to take the punishment. And, but like, generally speaking, it feels like quarterbacks when they get to the league, like physically they kind of are what they are, mm-hmm. which I think is true with a lot of guys, you know, maybe outside of some like young tackles, you know, like the, really like the larger human beings who need to get physically much stronger. Um, it's the mental side of it. And so, you know, at that position, especially if you're going to be taking really taken really highly, would you rather have the, little bit older prospect who might have a little bit less of a ceiling because you feel like he's able to sustain whatever the league throws at him early in his career? Or would you rather have the high ceiling guy and hope he figures it out as a pro? You know, that to me is a, is a real question. That's a real debate that teams are going to, to have to have it. And maybe they're having it about Daniels versus may because yep. you know, the ceiling on may is, doesn't exist you know like it's like he could be really really special um but if you're not sure and he gets thrown into a bad situation he plays a lot as a rookie and he ends up getting into some bad habits because he's not fully there what because he wasn't ready because he's not fully developed you know were you better off going with the older guy who maybe could could handle those types of challenges a little bit better so i do find that interesting um and that maybe i should talk to some uh talk to some league people and, and see what they would have to say about that. Like the other thing that's interesting too, is like with a running back, obviously, or a receiver, maybe to a lesser degree, you don't want the older prospect because the tread on the tires is, is worn down. Right. A quarterback where, you know, the guys that are good end up playing into their, you know, late thirties now, <laughs> like it's insane how long some of these, contra- these, these careers are, that these guys are having maybe age is a little bit less of a, of a concern. So I think you could kind of go both ways on that, that argument at that position. Yeah, well, the, I think I think the issue for age at quarterback isn't necessarily where it's that, uh, and this is Daniels, but this goes for Bo Nix as well. This goes for Michael Penix. It's that if you if you see college defenses for that long and it and you don't, especially uh, Daniels is a guy who was you know a day three pick coming into the year through four seasons starting and is now we're talking top five consideration. It took him that long to figure out college defenses, and it took him having two receivers who were going in the first round to put up this kind of production um and you know it doesn't it doesn't mean that he's a bad player or anything it means this is part of the evaluative process asking the questions figuring out what is it that changed in year five for you 
what what was the difference maker? Was it the talent around you? Were you seeing the field differently? What what developed for you? Um, you know, and that's that's going to be the case for all the veteran quarterbacks. Basically, every quarterback in this draft outside of May Williams and J.J. McCarthy is a four year or longer guy. I mean, you look down guys who could be available late in the draft and there's some six year, seven year guys, it feels like in there. Yeah. And we're going to, I think we're going to be at that point because we get the COVID years. Right. And uh, you know, so guys are going back to school and they're, and they're spending longer. You know what I mean? Maybe next year, I don't know if you saw this or not. Maybe next year the Patriots will draft uh, Cam McCormick out of Miami, who is going <laughs> back for his ninth season of college football in 2024. So maybe, you know, maybe you'll go, we'll go after a guy like that. But you know, I think the we talk about the tread on the tires with Daniels, it's a little different, right? He has, you know, 2019, he had 125 carries. 2021, he had 138 carries. 2022, he had 186 carries. This year, he had 135 carries. So, like, so he's not just throwing the ball in the pocket. He's running a good amount, right? And that's, you know, roughly 10 carries a game. It's not, you know, he's not running the ball 30 times a game like some of the running backs are, but that's still a good amount. You know, you talk about like 500 carries or so, maybe, maybe a little bit more. That's, that's quite a few carries for, you know, for a guy who you worry about how much can he hold up. And part of it is that he can move and run. And so, you know, you worry about that at the same time, you mentioned Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was in school for four years. Now he wasn't a starter for four years, but he was a starter for two. And, you know, really was, again, a day three guy coming into his last year, throws for 60 touchdowns, gets drafted number one. So, you know, it's it, – you wonder, like, it can happen, but it's – you know, there's a lot of questions. And I think that, again, outside of – in my opinion, outside of Williams and May, and even May, there's some questions I think too. But, you know, there's a lot of question marks with all of the quarterbacks and – you know, maybe the best bet is to take Marvin Harrison Jr. Shoot, maybe it's to do what Murph and a lot of other people want and trade back to five or six mm. and go off. You know what I mean? Like, mm. <laughs> you don't like I hate the, it. You don't like I don't the... want it. But you know, maybe that's the best thing to do, especially if Robert Kraft's going to be cheap and not re-sign Mike on winning. You know, I, so I, I guess I, I guess I, um, and and this is a biased perspective, and maybe it's it's too prevalent in the league because I, I think it is prevalent in the league. I so respect guys that play against the best competition. Yeah. And I, I think it matters. I think it really, really matters. And I, I think Drake may having a good year, a couple years in, in the ACC is nice. I don't think it's as impressive, you know, like it just, it's I want to be careful what I say here, but like it's it's just different. You know, the Pac-12 is not the SEC. And so um, maybe I weigh that too much because well, the... uh, but there are things you can get away with against some of that, you know, and, and listen, the teams that those guys play with aren't as good either. So they had to be superheroes. But there are things you can get away with, I think. In those conferences that you can't get away with against. SEC defenses. I really do think it's a, it's just a different level. Yeah. Um, and I think that well, does the, have an effect on the quarterback play. The flip side, I think, is that you look at the last two, you know, big quarterbacks come out of the SEC and you're looking at Price Young and, and Mac Jones. And you look at, you know, I think of ACC quarterback, I think Trevor Lawrence. When I think Pac-12 quarterback, I think Justin Herbert. Um, 
So I think, what? I don't know. I feel like if you're a good quarterback, it'll just show up on tape regardless right. of what um, what conference you end yeah, up playing. Josh I mean, there's a lot, there's yeah, a Josh lot. Allen comes out of the Mountain West. And yeah. where's Texas Tech? I don't even know. I don't know college football enough to know where Texas Big Tech 12, is. Yeah. Big 12, right? Yeah. So, like, you know. I I don't know. I, yeah, there's I, – I think if you're physically – you know, and these guys are the guys this year that are coming out of the Pac-12 and the ACC are physical freaks. But all those guys we just mentioned, Mahomes, Herbert, Lawrence, are physical freaks. The other two guys are not. So if you, you know, in terms of the Alabama quarterbacks that you mentioned coming out, right now, Joe Burrow is not really a physical freak either. But but he's a but he's a good player. Um, yeah, I think it just comes down to once you get in the league, how you're handled too. You know, like, yeah. Again, yeah. I hate to bring up Mac Jones for like the fifteenth time in this pre- in this in this uh, podcast because he's probably not even going to be on the team. But that was not viewed as a bad pick after it happened. It was. A, it was. No. It's now viewed as a bad pick because the offensive structure was. Yeah. Well, everyone like, thought he was going three. Never mind fifteen. So, you know. Yeah. So. Um, so you're right about Bryce Young and Mac Jones, but like the Mac Jones one and like the Trevor Lawrence one, I'm not even sure that one's worked out yet. I mean, like he, like he has the ability clearly to make great throws. We're still waiting for him to be a great quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll see, see what happens. I, I think the other possibility here to talk about, you know, you mentioned kind of situation and what happens with the quarterback. I think we've kind of seen a common theme here that generally the quarterbacks who sit their first year, end up doing better guys who can sit and learn um it does make me wonder here if you're new england and you don't love any of these guys do you take a marvin harrison jr in the first round and whatever quarterback is there in the second you know michael Penix, uh bo nix uh, that's somebody um dan brugler had the patriots taking uh you know you throw jj mccarthy's name in the mix because i don't really have any idea where he's going to go in this thing do you consider you know we're going to get a number one wide receiver a guy who you know, has Hall of Fame upside of the position, go sign Jacoby Brissett this offseason and let Brissett and some guy in the second round compete for a job and maybe sit your rookie for the first year and then see where you're at after a season. You could definitely do that. And uh, that might end up being the best thing to do. I just, um, and it's hard, right? Like we haven't followed a team that's been in this position and so it's going to come down to how they evaluate these guys. Yeah. But if you think one of these top three guys is a franchise quarterback, you can't pass it up. No. You have yeah, to take You just well, can't. Like, you don't right. get and the then opportunity to, to, that, to take these guys. A hundred percent. And next year's class, now again, you know, you, who knows, right? But next year's class doesn't look as strong. Quinn Ewers is probably coming out next year. Shador Sanders, who I love Shador Sanders, will probably come out next year. But, like, you know – Will you be bad enough to get one of those guys if they're going to go, you know, in the top three? We don't know that, right? There's no guarantee, right? I think the, you know, the other thing for me, I almost feel like if you want to do anything, everything but the quarterback, just punt it and take a guy like Spencer Rattler or a guy like the, who's the kid from FSU? Travis, Jordan, uh, Jordan Travis, or, you know, somebody like that where you're looking at it saying, all right, we're drafting this guy in the fourth, fifth round. And I know that's not, obviously, it's not ideal. Where you're talking about a guy that is a, you know, even Joe Milton, who I don't like Joe Milton, but like even a guy like that, where it's like, 
let's just see what he's got. Draft him late. See if you can develop him for a year under a veteran quarterback. Maybe it doesn't work out. And if it doesn't work out, guess what? You're back in the top 10 with an opportunity to draft a guy next year. But in the meantime, you've added a number one wide receiver. You've added a left tackle. You've added things like that 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 you wouldn't have been able to get if you drafted a quarterback at three, you know, and, oh. uh, and maybe even trade back to five or six. And now you've added more pieces for next year, right? So I don't know. We'll yeah, see. I think it's also worth noting here as we sit here right before divisional round weekend, eight teams playing in it. Only one of them got their quarterback by drafting him, um, you know, in the top five. A lot of these yeah. guys, you know, we look at Josh Allen, you look at Patrick Mahomes, that they, they traded up to go get him. Lamar Jackson, they traded up, but he was their second first round pick, I believe. Uh, and you go over to the NFC and you got, you know, some former number one overall picks who they got, those teams got as veterans. So I think you see a whole lot of ways to to get a quarterback and it brings you back to the the Justin Fields of it all. What does his market look like this offseason? Is that somebody you think you could bring in? Um then you, know, you look at anybody who could be available via trade as potential options. I don't think the, the Cardinals are moving off of Kyler Murray, but in a world where they wanted to, is that something you feel is worth exploring to kind of to get a guy who has that uh, talent, uh, potentially a discount in the trademark? Obviously, you got to pay a lot contract-wise. Um, but I think you, you see a lot of different ways to skin the cat if you look at the playoffs this year. And you look at that and as new england you shouldn't be locked into any one approach other than trying to get the guy who you think best helps your team at number three and i think like phil said if you think there's a franchise quarterback nothing helps your team better than that you have to pull the trigger if that's the case if you don't you go with some other option yeah the, the interesting thing about that is like you know we used to call that the, the quarterback tree you know what falls off what you know you just see what falls from the quarterback tree maybe you get a trade you know for a team that thinks the guy sucks and you trade you know trade trade away nothing and end up with a guy who ends up actually being pretty good or you sign a free agent that people don't want you know because generally speaking if quarterbacks get to the free agent market it's because somebody didn't want them so like you know that to me is it is obviously viable because we're seeing it, as you just mentioned, not all these guys were drafted in the top five. They're not France. They weren't, um, they weren't acquired by their current teams to be, you know, face the franchise quote unquote types of guys. But what's, what gives you the best odds to hit? Is it to use that three number three pick asset or is it saying, well, shit, I hope a, I hope some team gives up on a quarterback who's halfway decent, and then we can somehow end up with them and, and <laughs> right. maybe go to the Super Bowl if our if the rest of our roster looks good. You know, like it's just – it's really – it's not – while it is possible, it's hard to plan for, I guess, is the is the best way to put it. So yeah. it's it's a little unsettling to go about it that way. You have to, ha- you have to be really confident in your abilities to run a, a sound front office and pounce on those yeah. opportunities whenever you yeah. get them and seek out those opportunities. Um you know, like the Rams did to get Stafford, honestly, and the and the mm-hmm. Lions kind of lucked out in that, you know, Jared Goff, who they, you know, the they got paid for taking on, they, they got assets for taking on Jared Goff. He was a, he was a negative asset right. in that deal. And now, you know, he's a game away from the conference championship game. So it's like, was that the, the Lions put themselves in this position by building a good roster around him? But was the plan to go to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff or Detroit? I probably of not. Of course not. <laughs> you no. know, like there's yeah. some luck involved here too. So, you know, it's a, but it's 
it's opportunity and timing and, and being ready to pounce on those opportunities when they uh, present themselves. And um, yeah. so you shouldn't be intimidated by that, I guess, but I guess from a fan's perspective and I could see from an ownership perspective, really hard to bank on that as like our plan. Like we're just going to build the rest of the roster and then Robert Kraft, we'll find, don't worry. We'll figure it out at quarterback. Right. What do you mean you'll well, figure it out at quarterback? You know, like that that's a tougher that's a tough sell. Well, I think that I think you look at the Chiefs and the Bills right now as two teams that they built winning teams by finding other ways to get the quarterbacks. And you got right. Alex Smith there for the Chiefs, who you're able to do that. And I, I forget who the, the Bills had specifically right before. Josh Allen, but they did cycle through a Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. Oh, Tyrod yeah. Taylor. They, they were about and Fitzpatrick. And I think yeah, they, they were, were about... 10 and 6 the year that they drafted Josh Allen or something like that. Both well, I, the, the note is that both of those got to be you know winning teams and then traded up for a quarterback that they really liked and felt good about, which you know, there's gonna be a risk involved here, um, no matter what move the Patriots make. I just get I get a little bit concerned about the risk of whiffing on a quarterback inside the top three that's how you end up back inside the top three in a hurry and what the chiefs did was they they were in the same position that the patriots are now in 2013 and they signed alex smith and they drafted a tackle at number one overall who just kind of ended up being okay yeah eric fisher yeah. uh but they got a new coach a new quarterback that they signed via free agency and a left tackle at the top of the draft and so that's a path the patriots could pursue if they really wanted i don't know who alex smith would be in the free agent market this year but Kirk you know Cousins. baker mayfield well baker mayfield would be the best cop right as the number as a as another yeah, a fellow former number one overall pick you know different styles uh, i guess but um you know that's that's a path to pursue it's just boy it's if you feel good about the quarterbacks up there it's tough, tough to pass on them yeah that well that's the thing if the guy is there you have to draft him. You have to draft him. If you look at the draft, you know, and, and the Chiefs may have looked at that 2013 draft, and I, I guess, you know, I can go back and take a look at it, but I don't know what that 2013 draft looks like, right? Is there a guy in the draft that you look at and say, oh, man, like you really missed it by not drafting that quarterback, whoever it was. And, you know, well, here we go right here. The first quarterback taken in 2013, do you know who it was? It was E.J. Manuel. E.J. Manuel. So that's so that's the thing is that they're in a different situation than the Patriots were because the second quarterback that gets taken is Geno Smith. So, you know, there's not really the, that high-end level of quarterback. But you're right. The, the comp of where they are is comparable to what the Patriots are. And and, and you know what else is comparable? Have the quarterbacks. Yeah. You know what else is comparable? I believe that 2013 Chiefs team is the one that went an entire year without a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, which is something. Yeah, no, they were still a decent team that year, which I I feel like that that is a sentiment, at least, that feels familiar to Patriots fans, yeah. is what we've seen the last couple of seasons. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you and old man mom's talking about Russell Wilson, which is a possibility. I think it's unlikely, but it's a possibility. And so, you know, those are those are all kind of things that are up in the air. But it is going to be – that's what makes this offseason so fascinating. And that's what makes really this time of year, which, you know, was always kind of like ho-hum. Like, I love the draft. I pay attention to the draft. I know, Phil, you feel the same way. Like, I'm I'm all in on the draft. I love it. I, like, sit down. I'm breaking down film, and I'm looking at guys, and I'm highlights and this and that. And I'm reading articles, and I'm, do, and I'm doing, you know, 
15 mock drafts a day on, you know what I mean? But like, but for the Patriots, it was always like, okay, they'll draft someone at the end of the first round and like, whatever. And I want the guy to be good, but what, but now it's like, they got the number three pick and they have a hundred million dollars in cap space and they need a quarterback, a wide receiver and, and a, and a tackle like, holy crap, they have like a ton of work to do. And so this is really interesting and exciting. And, you know, everyone wants them to do a million different things and who knows what the hell they're going to do, but it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. And it's going to, I think it's going to be a fun few months. And we just hope that, you know, May comes and the Patriots are in a significantly better position than they're in right now. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but that's what I'm hoping. They're not in a better position than they are right now, Pat. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. All right, Phil. Listen, we're going to let you go. You've been – this has been a fantastic, fantastic conversation. Yes, thank We've you. kept you incredibly late, but we appreciate you coming through. Um, ho- listen, I'll tell you right now, if you listen to this show, you better be listening to, to the next Pat's podcast. I don't know what you're doing if you're listening to me and not him. Um, but, you know, next Pat's is great. You got, you have on – you always have on um, the dude who runs – what the hell is the guy? I can't think of his name. Uh I want to say eager, but that's not right. The guy who runs the the uh, the Senior Bowl, uh, Jim Nagy. Jesus, yeah, yeah, we yeah, always yeah. have Jim Nagy on the talk. I'm assuming he's coming on uh, again with you. Last year, you had the guy that ran the Shrine Bowl on as well. That was interesting. Eric Galco, and yeah. then yes, mm-hmm. and so you know it's a great show. And obviously, you do a million things over there. So before you leave, everyone knows who you are, anyways. But plug all your stuff, anyways, before you before you go. Um, you know. Boy, well, thank you. It's very kind of you to say that. And I appreciate anybody who's listening to the next Pats podcast. Um, that is a that is a labor of love. I I have such a blast doing that, finding people to talk to that are going to teach us things about um, not only people in the draft, but people in free agency, people on the Patriots roster when we're thinking about, you know, trying to project things forward for a lot of these guys. Uh, we did a cool series last year where we went position by position and we wanted to find guys. We talked to Rob Ninkovich, James White, and Devin McCourty about, okay, what do you need What do you need to be a Patriots third down back? What do you need to be a Patriots outside linebacker? What do you need to be a Patriots free safety? And, and then I paired players with hmm. the descriptions that were given to me uh, by the Patriots legends, quote unquote, that were with me on that one. And we nailed the uh, the Keon White pick. Keon White yep. was fit Rob Ninkovich's description for an edge defender of Bill Belichick's defense to a T. Now the problem is, guys, Bill Belichick's not here anymore. Right. So all of our Patriots prototypes are like maybe out the window. So that, that's going to be really interesting. I, I'm wondering if the way to approach it this year, we do our prototypical Patriots series before the draft every year, is to try to keep it consistent. And just see, because there's there's Belichick guys in the front office. There's Belichick guy who's the head coach. Maybe they're going to be looking for the same thing. So we'll try to keep it consistent maybe this year. And then next year, if we need to change it drastically, we'll change it drastically. But um, all that stuff is so much fun for me. NBCSportsBoston.com, at Phil A. Perry on Twitter. Next Pat's podcast, Patriots Talk podcast with Tom Curran twice a week still, um, because things are still busy. Uh, We're going to the Super Bowl uh, for the week. So early edition will be out there. Uh, Boston Sports Tonight will be out there for that as well. Um, and I'll be on Zolak and Bertrand tomorrow um, from 12 to 1 for my normal Friday hit. And, yeah, we're, love it. we've got a lot to do. There's a lot going on. So I, I appreciate you it. letting me uh, 
I don't know, tell the people where they, yes. where they need to go to be as annoyed as humanly possible. That's I love it. To tell I them. love it, man. You, and I'll tell you what, you've gotten a lot of hate over the last, you know, few weeks or whatever. And I'm like, people hate on Phil. I'm like, what the heck? You hate on Phil Perry? Like, come on. But I'm like, he must be doing something right because people are people are pissed. You know what I mean? And I, it's just it, and it rubs off on everyone. Unfortunately, this time of year, uh, especially when you're that bad. And it was cool seeing you in Pittsburgh on the field. Uh, just a wild coincidence when I had the when I had the pregame passes and you just happened to be there. That was fun. Uh, was hanging awesome. out, hanging out before the what game. What a night! I love Pittsburgh. That's my favorite setting for away games. For it was so cool, and I, winning that game was great. But now it's funny because if we had lost that game, we'd be drafting number two instead of number three. So you know, it's yeah. just what are you gonna do? Yeah. Wait, Phil, have you been to a have you been to a baseball game there in Pittsburgh? I have not. I have not. It, the stadium looks awesome, but I've never been. I I hi- highly recommend. Yeah. Okay. We did a tour I, the next day. Yeah. It was incredible. Incredible. For not, Obviously, phenomenal no game, view. Yeah, phenomenal view, not that expensive. Uh, you know, the quality of the baseball may not always be the highest, but yeah. You know. <laughs> but I think, you know, those people, they, they love their sports and it's everything's downtown and you can walk from yeah. your hotel usually and yeah. be right there. It's it's great. Love it. It was great. Well, thanks, Phil. We appreciate it, man. And right, uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, listen, anytime you want to come back on, you let me know. Oh, and uh, you're, you're, there's always a spot here for you if you want to come back on. Always a good time chatting with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. We'll we'll talk soon for sure. All right, man. Take care. All right, bye. All right, man. What a flipping interview. That guy is the best. Just this the best. Is a, this is a marathon of a show. We're sure it is. We're starting, to, we're starting to turn this into a two-hour radio window right here. Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not great. No, we got we got to fly through the last few things. So we're just gonna all we're gonna do right now is we're gonna pick the we're gonna pick the uh, playoff team. We're gonna pick the playoff games. There's yeah. only four of them. Uh, I'll tell you the results of of the um, of what we did last week as well. Oh, we're not doing. There's no competition or anything like that here. We're just we're just picking yeah. them. That's all. Um, and then um, and then we'll do this week in sports. You do the trivia question. We'll do this week in sports history, and we'll get you guys the heck out of here. People are in the in the chat. Chat's been blowing up. Uh, oh, we appreciate yeah. you guys. And, Got a ton of people in here tonight. We love it. Yep. Yep. It's great. So, um, all right. Last week, here's what I'll tell you. Last week, last week, it's gonna be so painful to hear, man. I whiffed big time. Yeah. Last week, Matt had the Browns minus two and a half loss, (laughs) Chiefs minus four and a half win, Steelers plus ten and a half loss, Cowboys plus minus seven loss, Rams plus three win, and uh, Bucks plus three also win. So that's so three and three, three and three. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so I also went three and three. I had the Browns as well, lost. Chiefs win, Steelers lost. I had the Packers plus seven. Easy Dub. win. Okay. Uh, Lions minus three. Lions won, but didn't cover. And then I had the Bucks plus three as well. Uh, same as you. So this week, Matt, who you got? Let's see. Uh, hold on. I'll, I'll give you the lines got, right now. You got the lines. Right I got. Now? I got them up. Okay. From, from our, our friends over at FanDuel, first game. As always, in the Saturday late afternoon spot in the playoffs, it's the Texans. You know, they they weren't playing any other window. Uh, Texans at Ravens. Ravens favored by nine and a half. Where are you going with this one? I think I'm going to go Texans. Uh, It's nine and a half points is a a crap ton of points, and they've been playing their butts off. They might get blown out, but I'm banking on the fact that they won't. So I'm going plus nine and a half for the Texans. I'll go the other way then, and we'll have some fun. Give me the All Ravens; right. they're really good this year. They are. Like that's a that's a Lamar that's hasn't a played really good in like game. three weeks, so you know. But yeah, 
Who knows? Yeah. Uh, good. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the late game on Saturday, Packers at Niners. Same spread. Another one seed favored by nine and a half points. I'm going to take the Packers on this to cover. I don't okay. think they win, but I do think they cover. There you go. Look at that. And I'm. it's funny. I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm taking uh, <laughs> San Francisco. That was, this was not planned. I'm taking San Francisco plus uh, minus nine and a half. I just think San Fran's a wagon um, there and they're going to steamroll the Packers. They might not. The Packers played really well, but I think they played above their heads against the, against the uh, Cowboys. And I don't think that happens again against the San against San Fran. Yeah, that's, I think that's totally fair. I'm very intrigued to see that one. We'll head over to Sunday, the lions, you know, in that cold outdoor environment. <laughs> that's outrageous. What an outrageous oh, question. That was. Hilarious. Uh, hosting the Buccaneers as six and a half point favorites. Which, which in, in this old NFC Central rivalry, which way yep. are you going? Uh, I'm going Tampa. Tampa plus six and a half. Only because I feel like Detroit plays it close. I feel like the, every game Detroit plays is a close game. And so that's why I'm going Tampa. I still think Detroit wins. But I think it's going to be less than a touchdown because that's how Detroit plays games, I think, at least. Um, and so there we go. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm right there with you. I think, I think Tampa... Keeps it close. I wouldn't be shocked to see Tampa win this one either. I think there's some matchup stuff, at least for Tampa's offense, where they're going to be able to score and keep this competitive. And um, you're right. I'd be sad, but you're right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think Tampa going on is fun. I don't. I don't think either of these teams on the road is beating San Francisco anyway. I think the only hope for one of these teams is going to be if uh, the Packers end up getting through and they get to host a an, an NFC Championship game, which. Neither of us think is what's going to happen on Saturday night. Yes, that's correct. That is yep. correct. All right. And last game. Chiefs at Bills. Maybe the most exciting game of the weekend. Bills, two and a half point favorites at home. Do they finally get the playoff revenge on Patrick Mahomes? No. No, I'm going KC plus two and a half. It's not happening. I, I just. I'm agreed. I think I'll tell you. As much as I don't like Mahomes and and the uh, and the Chiefs, it would be hilarious if the Bills sat there and said, "Oh, we've done this and we've done that. We we've always played them here. We get screwed by the refs and we always play in Kansas City." Blah, 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 Overtime awesome. rules, and you finally get them at home and you lose anyways. I would, j- it would, I'd love it. I'd absolutely love yeah. it. Uh, it'd be great. So that's that's what I'm rooting for to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Casey's not that great this year, but. I uh, I do think it would be it'd be nice. Well, the Bills are incredibly banged up right now. Very true, very and true. And that's you know if Mac Jones can dice up that defense, that's I think great. Mahomes can do it even with some of those weapons out there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Chiefs. I think they're the better team here. Uh, even uh, though we saw the Bills go out to Arrowhead and win earlier this year, I think that was more the product of the Chiefs being a little bit down. Then the Bills starting to surge then, and I think the Bills team that's out there right now. You know they they got all the injuries early this season. And defensively, they finally figured out what they were doing, and now a lot of those guys are hurt. And I think yep. it's really hard to make another adjustment on this short a, a turnaround to figure out what you want to do. So yeah, yeah, we're in a, we're we're in agreement for the Sunday games. We're opposite for the Saturday games. That's fun. That's fun. What the heck? Yep. You know, we got I I got three. I'm picking three underdogs. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So All right, trivia question, and then trivia question, and then we'll history. do this week in sports history, and we'll get the heck out of here. Uh, yeah, it's 11.30 already. So Yeah. All right. Last week's question. Which team did the New England Patriots host in Bill Belichick's first game as head coach the as the, of the Patriots? The answer was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thad Skywalker had that one. And the bonus question on it, 
who scored New England's first touchdown in that game. Thad Skywalker also had this one. It was Troy Brown with a punt return. And I don't think there's a more fitting way for Bill Belichick's tenure with the team to start than a special teams touchdown from Troy Brown. Franchise legend. The question tonight, we're going to the new head coach, Gerard Mayo. He recorded his first career interception in 2011 against which former Indianapolis Colts quarterback? Oh, okay. All right. There we go. Yeah, throw your your answers in the chat there while we uh, figure that out. Do you know this one, Pat? Do you think you know this one? Uh, So I have an idea just because I feel like the obvious answer probably isn't correct. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I am thinking that it was a guy that was uh, there – for a long time and never really played. And, uh, and so that's, that's who I think it might be. Okay. Um, I might be wrong about that, but that's who I think it might be. If I'm remembering correctly, this game was the one, um, this is the one where Gronk broke his forearm on the field goal on the field goal unit. Yeah. Yeah. It was a weird game. I, I, as a kid, I watched this game on like a small TV at my great grandparents' house. Some some family party, and I was sitting in front of a TV that was about the size of my laptop is now trying to watch this game on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a tough game. I remember I actually was at this game, as I am at all these games, but uh, I went with my uncles, and we went to a tailgate before, and I remember they were excited to come and see, um, and see uh, Peyton Manning, and Manning, I think, was hurt or something or whatever um and so i don't i don't remember i'm looking it up now but i don't remember oh someone did get it um we do have a correct answer in the chat yeah so i didn't remember it was him that started but he had a heck of a game that was a close a close game yeah yeah so yeah that 2011 patriots defense (laughs) dj's guess was was my was my guess uh which was incorrect but that's okay yeah so we'll give you we'll announce the correct answer on our show next week yes Um, yes so, all right, uh, here we go. This week in sports history, and then we are out of here. And now for something we think you'll really like. This week in sports history. All right. Okay, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll take it. All right. I got, a, I got a great one on my page today calendar here. We got a Bruins one Ooh, on my page today calendar. Okay. okay. Yeah. On this day, January 18th, 1964, the Bruins stunned the Maple Leafs 11 to nothing at oh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Please. Boston enters the fray with a 9-24 and 8 record. The Leafs were at 21-13 and 6. Bruins scored on scored 6 times on 7 shots in the first period <sighs> against goalie Don Simmons who played the entire game. Tough game. Tough game. Uh, Gary Dornhofer Heffer kicked off the, the fray with a goal 53 seconds in. Andy Habenton and Dean Prentice uh, each scored three goals. Murray Oliver scored twice. Dorn Heffer, Johnny Busich, and Jean Guy Gendron each had a goal. Golly. That's 11 to nothing. That's just rough, yeah. dude. It's a rough night. That's a burn the tape one. That's a burn the tape game for sure. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, all right. Mine is also from today, um, January 18th, 
1951. Uh, very relevant for one of uh, the current current playoff teams. Because on January 18th, 1951, the NFL ruled tackles, guards, and centers ineligible for a forward pass. Had that not happened, the Detroit Lions would have been in the number two seed instead of the number three seed. But I, I imagine a game in which all, all the players in the field were eligible to receive a forward so pass. Incredible. You imagine that'd be awesome. Just absolute chaos with like snapping it and then just everyone running. That'd be outrageous. Imagine like a, a ten a ten man route. <laughs> yes. You know what? You know what I'm a little surprised we haven't seen happen. And we saw, you know, an attempt at this last year, which didn't really, you know, work out with the Cowboys having Zeke snap it. We really have not seen a lot of tries of when a team needs a lateral play, you go out there with a quarterback, or not even necessarily a quarterback, you just go out there with your eleven best athletes. Eleven fastest and, guys. Yeah. Yeah, and try to, you know, throw the ball around and make something happen. Right, you're gonna get rid of it instantly. Yeah, and obviously the issue with that last year was that the Cowboys got rid of it instantly by throwing a quick slant, and the defense knew they had to get rid of it fast and just sat all over it. So right. um, that's probably part of it. And I think I wonder, too, if you're trying to do that, and let's say it's the Patriots, bring a guy like Joe Cardona out there for the snap, somebody who's a little more athletic than your center, but who has blocking experience and can get down the field and you know also can snap the football. Not a terrible idea. Not a terrible idea. Something we should look into. So, yeah. well, we know, but, you know, maybe we'll. <laughs> Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, you know, pass that information along to those that actually could do something about it, um, yeah. or it's scream into the void until someone hears us. You know, we could do that too. So, uh, all right, it's well, so far, yes, that's true. That is true. Speaking of working so far, Matt St. Jean with a with a super a mega viral tweet uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't finish the show without mentioning this. Just an incredible, <laughs> an absolutely incredible tweet. Uh, we are at just just so we're all on the same page, just so everyone understands here. Right now, right now, we are at 1.8 million views, 14,000 likes, 745 reposts, 34 quotes. And Matt's iconic <laughs> tweet is a quote tweet of Bill Belichick's second interview. And it says the Falcons blowing a two interview lead on hiring Bill Belichick. If he goes elsewhere would be truly hysterical. And just the subtlety of the comedy. Fantastic. Just hits the sweet spot. Not too over the top, not too ridiculous, but absolutely amazing. Uh, And just found the algorithm and people went nuts on it. And you love to see it. You love to see it. When I came up with two interview lead, when that popped into my head, I thought I had something. I didn't think it was going to catch on like this. But right. uh, right. And it, it does at this point appear like the Falcons are going to finish off the job there. Um, yes, it does. It sure, it sure does. seems like anybody else is in this conversation right now, uh, you know, unless we're waiting to see what happens this weekend with other teams. Um, but, you know, Cowboys sticking with Mike McCarthy. Stupid. We haven't heard anything on Nick Sirianni in Philly. Uh, sounds like he's coming back is what it sounds like. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think we're gonna see Bill in Atlanta, which I do think is fun. Yeah, um, and, you know, maybe at the they very least, Kirk, it's fun, right? Maybe they go after Kirk Cousins and they bring out Josh McDaniels and um, yeah, yeah. I side note, I will say I want to I want to add a couple other quarterback things before we go. Uh, a couple let's type a couple loose ends here. One, I was having a conversation with T- Taylor Kyles on Twitter last night. And we were both coming to the same conclusion that hypothetically, if the Patriots were to bring Josh McDaniels back, we actually liked the fit 
with Drake May a lot. Some of the things he has is capable of doing and did. Makes and sense. the fact that May is a, a big and mobile quarterback. And you can do some of the Cam Newton stuff from 2020, some of the run game stuff. Right. Uh, he's a guy who's a good enough runner to utilize that, which I thought was interesting. And the other thing, we talk about you know, bringing one of these guys from L.A., the Rams, in. It's like Zach Robinson is your offensive coordinator. You want to take a shot at a quarterback, but you don't love somebody in the first round, and you want somebody who can just sit back there and execute an offense and throw the ball where it's supposed to be on time. Um, Bo Nix in the second round isn't something I hate. I don't love him as a prospect. He's pretty good under pressure. Um, can make all the throws. He's a good enough athlete. He can run. Mm-hmm. He's got really bad tape at Auburn. Uh, he's been a not very smart player for a lot of his college career, but he seems to have been coached up really well at Oregon. And if you have a guy who can do that, and you know he's a guy who can do the short throws and who can you can bootleg and do all the fancy stuff they like to do in those Ram style offenses. Um, I don't think he's a guy you win a Super Bowl with, but I do think he's a guy you can win football games with if things go right for you. And you know maybe that gets you going in the right direction. Maybe he isn't your Patrick Mahomes, but he could be your your Alex Smith level guy. Uh, and that's somebody Dane Brugler yeah. had the Patriots going Marvin Harrison Jr. Bo Nix in his last draft and. Um, uh, doesn't, doesn't thrill me. Uh, really none of the quarterbacks outside the top two thrill me, but it makes some sense and I can get behind it. It's a, a short-term option and, a, a relatively low risk at the, in the second round. True. Yeah. And look, I, I don't, I don't necessarily hate it. I just feel like if you're, you know, there are right now, if you listen to people that know what they're talking about, there's an argument between tackles three and 10 as to who the best one is. And yeah. you got to assume one or two of those guys are going to be available at 34. You know what I mean? And I don't know if any of those guys are going to be available in the open market. And so you know, I almost yeah. feel like if I'm going to take a shot in the dark at a quarterback, I'd rather do it with a veteran than Bo Nix. And maybe Bo Nix well, turns out to be really good and proves me wrong. But yeah. that's kind of how you're gonna, I feel about it, you know? And I think, you know, realistically, you're only going to get two shots here at the top of the draft where you feel really good about the picks. And you got three spots on offense where you need guys. Wide right. receiver, offensive tackle, quarterback. So you're you're not going to fill all of those with premium picks unless you trade back and are able to pick up extra picks sure. in there. Yeah, which means you're requiring a, a less premium option at the top, although still a guy you're going to like a lot. Yeah. Um, and what that means is that you got to do some work in free agency and feel good, not great, but decent about all three spots before you hit the draft because you know you're missed on one of them you don't know you don't necessarily know which one of those it's going to be until we get to you know 11 o'clock on friday night of the draft correct very correct yeah so we'll see but all right well this has been enough of that we're going to get into all that stuff uh again for months and so we will get back and forth and talk about it and go through and of course at some point you know, Chicago is going to make a decision on their quarterback and the Patriots are going to either move up to one or someone else move up to one or Justin Fields is going to get traded or something is going to happen. So uh, we'll see. Fall. Yep. And so there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of draft talk coming your way, people. Thank you so much for the chat today. You guys were blowing up. We had like 250 people live at, at one, at one point with conversation going on in the chat. We see all your comments. We can't get to all of them, but we see them all. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Yeah, and, uh, was- and thanks for coming through, you know? There was a question in there about whether or not I went to Michigan. By the way, I did not. I'm just a I'm just, just a, fan. a Michigan fan. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's correct. That's not why I like McCarthy. I did I believe say on this podcast at one point that um I was not a fan of his and I didn't really come back around 
on McCarthy until, you know, the Alabama game. That's yeah. when I started to come back around and see some of the upside. It's a good point. It's a good point. Also, uh, Dilly C. Dilly here. Xavier Leggett. Uh, is it Leggett? Leggett? Leggett. 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 That's what I thought. Uh, you know, there's so many good wide receivers in this draft. So many. Oh, yeah. That's why I almost feel like if you're at three and you take a quarterback at three, you can get a guy that could turn into a number one wide receiver or at least a high-end wide receiver, too, at the top of the second round. You, know, you remember that T. Higgins went in the top of the second round when they drafted Joe Burrow. And so, you know, you look at that and think well, you could do the same thing here. You could draft Jaden Daniels or whatever, whomever it is you trade up for or whoever you draft, you know, you get that guy at the top of the second round um, and that could, that could solve that problem, you know? Yeah. I will say, I really like Xavier, Xavier Leggett's tape, his tape against Georgia in particular. There's some yeah. good stuff. There's, the, there's not a lot of guys as big as he is who have some of the movement skills that he has. My only concern with him is that he has been at South Carolina for four years, and he was basically a backup for his first three seasons before doing this. And a lot of his games being bigger and stronger than the guys around him. And I'm going to have some questions there as to why it took him until year four to get to where yeah. he is. He's a guy I think I'd like uh, in the third round. I'm not sure I'd like him in the second. I think I'd like the value yeah. on some other guys and, there. And, better, and that's, that's the a, thing. His right? His tape's a fun watch, uh, regardless of if you're looking at him. Like, just go watch a highlight reel of Xavier Leggett, and you're gonna have a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we'll see. And we'll, you know, and like I say, we're gonna break down all these guys. And we're gonna go back and forth. And I think, I think what we should do is kind of devote shows to, um, to positions and whatever. We're gonna, we're gonna get into a whole bunch of stuff. Don't worry. So, um, so anyways, that's what we got. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We're approaching two hours here. <laughs> uh, still got people in here and we, and we appreciate you guys. Love you guys. You guys are we'll, amazing. We'll talk to you. Uh, I think we'll talk to you Sunday night after, um, we'll go after the bills chiefs, right? Cause that's, a, that's a six o'clock, six o'clock. Oh, yes. Good point. So we'll go after bills chiefs and do a quick wrap yeah. up of that and, and kind of go from there. And, and you never know something else might happen this weekend. So, yeah, so anyways, guys, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And, uh, and we'll talk to you Sunday night.